Hey guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, then I know you enjoy the Girl Dad Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Ernest James, and I believe the relationship between a daughter and her father is one of the most important relationships a young lady can have. And therefore, my mission is to promote the daddy-daughter relationship by sharing the voices of girl dads to the world. So check out our podcast on every platform where podcasts can be listened to. And if you want to watch the podcast, check us out on our YouTube channel. Again, that's the Girl Dad Discussions podcast with your host, Ernest James. Are you looking for inspiration on a daily basis? Well, check out Deal to Heal Tees. With our inspirational tees, you're sure to find something that will inspire you. Just go to dealtoheeltees.myshopify.com. That's Deal to Heal Tees. Get some inspiration in your situation. Wear inspirational tea and be inspired all day. That's Deal to Heal Teas at Deal to Heal Teas.myshopify.com. Hey guys, this is Ernest James, host of the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. And I got a question to ask you Could you buy me a cheeseburger? Better yet, could you buy me a value meal? Yes? Well, guess what? I don't need a value meal. However, for the cost of a value meal, you can support this podcast to keep us on the air. Just go to Patreon slash Deal to Heal podcast and choose any one of the three tiers that's available. And if you just want to make a one-time donation, go to Cash App and make a donation to dollar sign E. James, the number 418. Make a one-time donation to the Cash App Or, again, go to Patreon to support this podcast and keep us on the air. Thanks in advance. Be blessed. Welcome to Heal to Heal with E. James Podcast. On this podcast... My guest and I will discuss topics and ways to help us to heal in every area of our lives. I believe that everyone can live a life that is happy, healthy, and whole. So I'm on a mission to help people to deal, heal, and fulfill. Deal with your problem, heal from the pain, and fulfill your purpose. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. I'm your host, Ernest James, and I believe that everyone can and should live a life that is healed, whole, and healthy. And therefore, I'm on a mission to help people to deal, to heal, and to fulfill, to deal with your problems, to heal from the pain, and to fulfill your purpose. Thank you guys for tuning in once again to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. If you haven't already, Make sure that you listen, like, subscribe, and share to the podcast. And don't keep it to yourself, but share it with someone else. Make sure you guys are following us on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, our Instagram page, everywhere that um, you can listen to a podcast, we're there. So make sure you guys are uh, sharing and subscribing to the podcast. Also, I'm going to tell you guys how you can win $100 from the podcast, but you got to stay to the end of the episode to get that information, all right? So today, just like any other day, we are blessed 
with the guest, Miss Y. Renee. How are you doing? I'm good, sir. How are you? Thank you for having me. I am good. I am good. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for being here. Uh, you could have been doing anything else, but you took out time to be here with me and my listeners. And I definitely appreciate it. I want you to know that. So uh, starting off, do me a favor, introduce yourself uh, to my listeners and tell us who you are and what it is that you do. Well, my name is Y. Renee, and I am from the great city of Chicago, Illinois. I um, am a author, coach, speaker, and also, um, let's see, what do I do? I do a lot. Oh, Ernest, that's a hard question. No, just um, I work for, I do work for a government entity, though, it's my nine to five, even though eventually I pray to be off of it because I do enjoy what I do. I am the author of two books, both international bestsellers. I coach, I'm a life coach, and meaning that I coach people through triggers of trauma also, but I'm also a speaking coach. And I help people um, that want to grace the stage, be in front of people. I help them along with others that I have a team of people. We help people prepare for the stage and just execute on the stage and become dynamic in their lane. All right. All right. And I definitely know um, firsthand from your your teachings because I am one of your uh, hoping to be prodigies. I guess that's the word I want to say. <laughs> success stories <laughs> however we want to name it uh and i definitely appreciate your uh, your leadership and your guidance um and so do me a favor um so i know that you yeah. you mentioned that you are a trauma coach um and i know that trauma is part of your story but let's go back before what you do now and even i guess probably before uh the incident that kind of led you this way um to say, just to give us an idea of who you were, then the incident that happened that kind of changed your life and then made you step into the uh, arena of speaking and even coaching people through trauma. Oh, okay. So I was working for the government at that time too. I was a wife, um, a daughter, a sister, a cousin, a friend. I enjoyed uh, doing most things. Things like average women do, you know, dates, movies, cooking, cl well, cleaning for the most part. Uh, just average stuff. I mean, I really didn't feel like I was, I mean, everybody is somebody. And it took me a while to get mm -hmm. to that, to understand that. But at that time in my life, I didn't really think I was anybody. I was just an average African-American woman trying to live her life, um, fulfill the, the role of being a wife and um, wanting to have a successful marriage. Um, educated but don't i don't have any degrees i've been to um college of course but i just didn't finish um again working for the government um going to nine to five doing everything i do just to live i was a basic or i felt like i was just the average um african-american woman just trying to live her life okay okay so what happened um I, again i kind of know the story <laughs> but yes. my listeners don't know the story <laughs> so what happened that kind of was a, a turning point in your life that kind of led you to what you do now well part of my 180 or my um uh, my two minutes i'll say when i'm introducing myself to my my public my tribe whoever I am a 15-year domestic abuse survivor. I survived four suicide attempts, and I also was gunned down in front of my home. I was shot four times in my lower back. Um, it, it's been 14 years now. So I 
hid behind the shame of being an abused wife. Nobody knew my story. Nobody knew what was going on. Um, I sat in front of people and I smiled through it all. Um, like nothing was wrong. And if there was something wrong, I did my best with imposter syndrome to distance myself from people. And just like when you're um, anybody who knows anything about domestic violence, when you're in those type of relationships, the abuser tries their best to isolate you anyway. Well, I didn't have a problem isolating myself because I didn't want people to know um, behind my what was behind my smile. And I figured that if I stayed around enough people long enough, especially um, I was heavy into ministry in a church circuit and there are. I believe certain angels that are in the earth that have high spirits of the, or high um, discernment factors in mm -hmm. their lives. And if, if they sought me out or if they saw me and saw me behind my smile, that they will rat me out or they will come and tell me. So when I felt like I was unable to hide, I distanced myself on purpose. Um, the suicide attempts happened um, in my adolescence and as well as in my marriage. In my marriage, I thought it was a way of escape. I thought it was my only way of escaping, to be perfectly honest with you. The actual story or the testimony of me being shot and being able to be here before you today, I was coming home from a church service and um, there was a uh, assailant that came from behind a tree and he called me out of my name, told me not to move. I actually thought it was a robbery. However, it was not. He shot me four times, walked away. And um, from that, I was in surgery for four and a half hours. Um, all my vital organs were hit except for my heart. I was paralyzed for two and a half days of walking by the fifth day out of the hospital by the eighth day. That until now, I do have to give a disclaimer. I've been doing this now a while. <laughs> um, my ex-husband was not the person who shot me. However, I do believe wholeheartedly that he had something to do with it. It was never proven. My shooter was never found. The gun was never found. And there was... Um, there was so much circumstantial evidence that it was a not there was not enough evidence to convict or to uh, accurately accuse who I felt was my offender. Okay, All right. Okay, so we're gonna talk about that, but I, I want to go back uh, to one of the things you said, and you talked about um, suicide attempts, and so one of the things I I am very vocal about. Um, I did not uh, attempt suicide. However, I did have suicidal ideations. Um, so I went through a period of uh, what I call I was living a D life at that time, right? So I was in debt. I was going through a divorce. I was already depressed. And then my mother-in-law at the time, who I was very close to, died. And then after that, my own mom died. And so with all of that at the same time, within the same uh, time period, it worsens my depression. And I just got to the point where I would just, you know, felt like I didn't have a way out, you know, just like I couldn't see the, couldn't see the light of day. And I thought about, um, you know, committing suicide. And so one of the things that helped me and when I speak and I talk about it when I speak and I say, well, let's learn to have fun with suicide. And FUN is an acronym that stands for focus, unite, and normalize. So the things that helped me get out, number one, I had to take the focus off me. And depending on who I'm talking to, because I have had um, 
uh, therapists on. And so when I shared this part, they say, well, Ernest, we teach that you should put your focus on you in order to get you out of that space. I said, well, I can't tell you what you teach, but I can tell you what worked for me. I had to take the, I had to take the focus off myself because it was the focus that I put on myself that made me get into this deep hole. And so I had to take the focus off myself and I put my focus on my daughter, who at that time was maybe like seven or eight and who had already, again, just lost both of her grandmothers. And my daughter was my shadow. So wherever I went, she went, you know. And so I was like, what would happen to her if not only she lost both of her, her grandmothers, but then she lost me also. And so that became my, you know, purpose to, to stay here. Like if for no other reason, I'm going to stay here for her. So uh, that was the elf, which was the focus. Then unite. I had to unite with people who understood. And I had to be uh, vulnerable enough to open up and say, hey, I need help, right? I'm in this space and I can't seem to get my way out of it. And I had some people that came in and kind of guided me and, and walked with me to give me the strength that I needed to get out of that place or just to continue on a day-to-day -day basis until I was able to get out of that place. And then uh, lastly, the N stands for normalize, which is a term that I learned in bereavement, which is your new normal, right? Because things will never be normal in the, the way normal was, but they can be a new normal. Things will be different, but it still can be good. And so as I went through that process myself, you know, that's how I came from the, the space of, not following through or at least not even attempting, you know, to uh, commit suicide. So that's what kind of helped me. So I'm very open about it because, number one, I want it to be uh, normal in our communities that we're having this conversation and definitely among our men of any color or any ethnic group that we're having these conversations because men hold a lot of stuff in and, and we don't talk about it. And so I want to be very vocal about it. So I thank you for sharing, you know, your thoughts and your experience with it. So as we put a voice to it and a face to it, it makes it easier to start having the conversations for our friends and family. So again, I thank you uh, for sharing. So um, let's go back a little bit, a little bit. So we talked about um, going through that situation of which you being shot, which was to me, just hearing it, just amazing, first of all, especially getting out of the hospital in, in eight days. I just, when you when you told me you got shot, you know, four times in the back, I was first thing that came to my mind, like, man, God, I'm surprised she's not paralyzed. Then you said two days. I'm like, okay, but you're like walking by five. I'm like, you a walking miracle by yourself. <laughs> you walking miracle. God is good. <laughs> he, he sure is. He sure is. So let's let's talk about that. Even so, that was your trauma, right? That was your trauma that you made it through. And so, as you're coaching people, um, even how to deal with their own traumas, what is something that you kind of teach them in order to be able to, you know, make it through their own trauma recovery? You know, because I know it's a physical. There's a physical recovery, but I'm sure there's also an emotional and mental part that plays into it. Yeah. So, um, again, thank you for allowing me to have this space. So what I will say first is I totally agree with you when you talked about talking to therapists on here. Everyone, 
everybody has to do what's best for them. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not saying I'll take anything. I, I actually am a big advocate of therapy. After I got out of my own way, I realized that I need therapy. So I still from time to time will go see a therapist because they are needed. However, mm -hmm. what I do believe is to some people, people have to walk out their own journeys and what may work, what the therapist gives you may or may not work. And if it does not work, do you stay stuck and not try to figure out what works for you? Or do you or do you just keep doing what they're doing? And it's not working and you find yourself falling deeper into the place that you don't want to be in. Mm -hmm. So, again, I give all kudos to therapists. I think you all rock. You all are amazing. And I'm a big advocate for you all. But for me, as we talk about me, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, to come what I when I coach people through trauma again i tell people all the time there are certain things i may be able to help you through there are certain things i'm not at any given time if this is not work for you let me know i do have uh, records of therapists i can get you to or either somebody else who may be able to coach you in a different way what i realized going through my own healing being a therapist both emotionally mentally all that other good stuff um that I had to realize that one thing I could not change is the fact that the trauma happened. The trauma happened. There's nothing you could do to change it. It's a part of your history. It's part of what happened. However, it's not the trauma that keeps people in a place called stuck. It's not the trauma that has you feeling um, that you're at your wit's end or that you're at your very lowest point. It's the triggers that are associated with the, the particular trauma. And we we have multiple traumas throughout our lives. I mean, we could right now I can tell you one of the biggest traumas everybody had to face within the last two years was COVID. Period. Mm -hmm. yeah. And how everybody deals with COVID is very differently. There are people who have come out of COVID feeling the same way they went into COVID. Oh, this ain't nothing. I don't care nothing about it. I wore my mask. I ain't wearing no mask no more now that they mandatory. No, I ain't getting no shot. Yada, yada, yada. Then you have those people who are, um, for lack of better words, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, paranoid about everything. They're hypochondriacs. They feel that if somebody breathes on them the wrong way, they're going to catch something. If somebody walks past them the wrong way and they have something, they're going to catch it as well. So you still have those people out here who are constantly wearing their masks. Now, they may have some underlying health issue that I have no clue about, but there are people out there that are still um, extra. Now, there are people before that were OCD. Now, there are people that are extra OCD. Everything is a wipe down. If you sneeze around them, they'd be like, oh, you got COVID. If you clear your throat with a cough, they got you got COVID. So um, there's always going to be an extreme, a low, and then there's the in-between. So when it comes to the triggers, um, you have to identify what the triggers are first. So for me, I'll use myself as an example. I got shot in front of my parents' house. Gun Gunshots, of course, trigger. Fireworks trigger certain times of the night because I got shot in the dark trigger the month of December when it happened trigger November when I mean October when I got put out of my house that led up to all of the circumstance or all of the situation that happened in December trigger what do I do during those times I can honestly admit during the first few years of everything happening dates triggered me I would lock myself in my room would not come out would not answer my phone would not do nothing would definitely take the medication that the doctor was giving me for anxiety and dope myself up so I could sleep through the day. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, there were times when I when I first had to come home before I moved out of my parents' house because I had to wait for my divorce to become final before I moved. I didn't want to move with um, my married name. So 
if it was nighttime, my mother stood in the doorway and waited for me to come in. If I told I had to call, I call her when I come around the corner, she stood in the doorway. If my parents were not at home or if it was really, really late and they were sleeping, I didn't want to disturb them. I had friends who were willing to get up out of their bed, meet me at my house and make sure I walked in my house just so I wouldn't be triggered. So how have I overcome some of the triggers? They're still there. It's just exercises that I do or I learned how to do to kind of push myself through them. I do a lot of breathing exercises. Um, I didn't think I was meditating. But some people tell me some of the stuff that I do, meditation helps. Um, for a while, I was medicated. I will say that. I'm also a big advocate of medical marijuana because that helped me when I got tired of taking pills. Because I also know this medication that they have, um, that the doctors, they practice medicine on us because they it's called a practice for a reason. They're practicing medicine. Some of these medications, I believe the, um, the side effects were affecting my kidneys. And they... They were affecting other organs of my body. So I cut myself off of a medium, but the anxiety didn't go right way right away. So I began to look into medical marijuana and the the benefits of it. So I'm a big advocate for that. If it helps you, if it don't, don't worry about it. Um, journaling helped me a great deal. I've always been, I'm not a writer. Even though I have two books, I won't call myself a writer. However, when there are certain emotions and feelings that you need to get out and you just don't want to express yourself to a family member, friend, or a loved one, you could always write your thoughts to God and nobody has to see them, but you and him, whether you yell and scream it, whether it's a page full of tears because you're crying the entire time, either way it goes, that release is amazing. So when I coach people, journaling is one of the biggest things I give them. Secondly, I also help them. I tell them always look. YouTube University is one of the best things that they ever created. If you feel like you can't afford to go somewhere and get something, trust me, it's on YouTube University. Just type in what type of you looking for. And even if you only get five minutes of a teaching, you got to teach them. So they have different people on there. They teach you different breathing exercises. Um, I worked out for a while to, to, to take off the edge because, again, I'm coming out of an abusive relationship. So what also triggers me is um, flags, red flags trigger me. And sometimes because I could not be the aggressor in my relationship because of what was mm -hmm. going on, I found myself being more aggressive outside of my relationship and then sometimes taking it on people that didn't deserve my aggression. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn to go to the gym and work that stuff off. That helped me. Um so just and then talking about it, I, I, I offer my my clients or my mentees a safe space to be able to open up freely, vulnerably. If they want me to record it for a later date for them to have it for themselves, by all means, I do. If not, then it stays between us and whichever method of communication that we use, whether it be in person, whether it be via the phone or whether it be via um like StreamYard or Zoom or something like that. So those are the things I really do. But it really big on talking because, like you said, especially with men, we, as a community, people, color, we hold stuff in. And we've been taught from a very young age for over 400-some years. Now it's probably closer to 500 because we always say 400, but I believe it's more years mm -hmm. than that now. But on <laughs> 500 years, <laughs> we were oppressed. And when we came out of the oppression, 
we were told that we were too strong to be vulnerable or weak. We were too strong to cry. We were too strong to show emotion. We were too strong to know how to lean on each other for support. And I think, unfortunately, and this is a little sidebar, the way the reason why the society, society is turning the way it is is because for so long we were too strong for our own good. We don't know how to uh, capitalize or either express our emotions. We have a society of African-American men that are being incarcerated at high rates because they, too, don't have anybody to talk to. They don't have anybody to let their emotions out to. They've always been taught, be strong, don't cry, be a man about it, yada, yada, yada. And at the same time, too, that's been detrimental and hurtful. So that's my take on it. but yeah, just communication is a big key when it comes to healing from anything. So I really, I'm really big on communication and journaling. Okay, okay. So I want to, I want to, I just seem to sit here writing as you were talking because I want to hit on a, a couple of things that you that you mentioned. Um, one of the things that the last thing that you mentioned was about the the being strong. So I did a live um, Sunday. This past Sunday, I was uh, I did a live with a young lady, and one of the things we were talking about was uh, she was talking about fathers, fatherless children, and you know some of the things that we need to um, instill in our kids, right? Even those that are not that are fatherless, you know, that we become mentors, but some of the things that we allow them, you know, that we teach in them. So we actually mentioned about you know the teaching our kids to be strong our, our sons to be strong and, and not you know man up and, and that whole thing and one of the things that i share with her because she mentioned about our sons and our daughter and and how do we help our sons gain their emotional you know be able to gain this emotional strength to be able to be vulnerable and to share and i say well first of all we definitely have to stop telling our sons to man up you know to be strong and to not show emotion but teach them to show emotion and but also as we're teaching our sons to it's okay to be emotional we also have to teach our daughters that it's okay for them to be emotional too because in our conversation that we're having we're talking about marriages you know and growing up and how there are some men who cannot talk to their wives because they're scared to be vulnerable Right. Because either they're just scared or because maybe they was vulnerable at a certain time. And then that was brought back up to them and used against them. And so I said, I think it's a a dual teaching that needs to be done where we're teaching our sons that it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to show your emotions. It's okay to be vulnerable, but also teaching our daughters that, you know, we they especially when we get started talking about relationships and, and marriages, that they are accepting of and allowing the men in their lives to be vulnerable with them and to share and not using those things as, as a weapon later on. So, uh, and that was just came to me because we just had that conversation Sunday. Um, but another thing that you, you talked about, uh, the therapist, I'm very, myself also very big on therapists. I went through um, not necessarily therapy, but it was sort of a group therapy with bereavement. When my mom passed away, I started doing group uh, bereavement um, sessions and I became a volunteer because I liked it so much. And then I even went on to start my own nonprofit, which was doing uh, holding bereavement 
um, sessions for our community because again, in our community, there was so much that we don't do because we have labeled it, you know, something wrong with it. Um, even when I was in bereavement, I probably was there uh, maybe a year almost. And out of the year that I was there, I probably had like two African-American families to come through there, you know? And so I said, well, I know it ain't cause we ain't dying because <laughs> we're dying all the time. Um, right. And I know that it's not because we don't need it because I was there because I needed it, you know? And I know so many other people that need the kind of, you know, whether it's uh, bereavement sessions, whether it's therapy, whatever you want to call it, whatever name you want to put on it. Again, like you said, to be able to just talk about it, you know, having this, uh, safe spaces to talk about stuff. So I want to talk about that. I want to mention that. And then lastly, I wanted to talk about a trauma that I had, not as, not as deep as yours, but still just talking about traumas and, and triggers. So when I was younger, uh, we live where we live that we live near a forest preserve. Right. And so we had, uh, we had dogs. And so our dogs, we didn't put them on a leash because we, we owned, we lived on a plot of land that my grandmother owned. And so we didn't have to uh, put our dogs on a leash because we had all this room for them to run. Um, but occasionally they would run into the, into the forest reserve and kill whatever they would kill. And then they would bring it back to the house. Right. So on any day we could walk outside and there was like a dead, whatever, you know, in the front yard. So this particular, Pacific, Pacific day, I come out uh, and I'm probably like maybe 12 at this time. I come outside, it's me and it's my, my cousin. Um, and we go, we see this, whatever it was. It was so mangled, I don't even know what it was, right? So it's all mangled and bloody and yucky. And so we're looking at it and he pushes me and I fall on it. And so oh, I, I don't, you just you just got me like <laughs> so you know how I felt, right? <laughs> so I'm like, oh my god! So I got like all kinds of stuff on me, and I'm like freaking out. Anyway, so I run in the house. Of course, I take all the stuff off. Whatever, do all that. Years later, years later, now I have a hold on it, but it was so bad after that happened. I cannot walk, walk past roadkill. So if I'm walking, if it's like a dead, whatever on the street, literally, I literally would have to cross the street to walk past it. Right. Um, and even now I've, I've got to hold on it now to where I don't freak out, you know, but like my eye is trained to find any dead thing when I'm walking. And it's crazy because sometimes I don't even know how I notice it, but it's just like my eye be like, okay, it's a dead squirrel right there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I don't even know how I notice it, but it's just those little things. Like I'd be walking and be like a dead mouse, you know, and you know, but I gotta, I have a control of it now to where I don't freak out, you know, and I can walk past it. I, I had to learn to control my breathing because my breathing would change, like everything would change. And I always feel like somebody was behind me, gonna push me, you know? And it was so bad right. if I was driving down the street and chilling with my hand hanging out the window and there was roadkill in the middle of the street, I would have to put my hand inside the window because it was always that feeling like he was gonna grab me or something, you know? So those was like my triggers. <laughs> Understood, <laughs> but like... the good thing is, it, the good thing I'll say, Ernest, is 
you learn to identify your triggers. And even if you had to avoid them for a season, um, mm-hmm. you also realize too that I can't always do this. I can't always be whatever. Hey, so you trained yourself again, like you said, the breathing. Um, and the fact being that, you know, just calming yourself down the moment, understanding that um, even though you may feel the presence of someone behind you, there's more likely nobody behind you. And now being mm-hmm. a grown man, I'm quite sure if somebody tried to push you somewhere, you probably turn around and probably deck them right quick. So, uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it took me, it took me a while to, to do that. And now I, I'm able to do it. The only thing that, that uh, bothers me now is if I'm caught off guard with it, which I really am because like I said, my eyes just finds it. Even if I'm not looking for it, if I'm just walking, if I, if it's something dead around me, my eyes pick it up. But the only time that I still get freaked out is when I just turn around and it's like right there. <laughs> so I remember I was cleaning out the garage. I was cleaning out my um, brother's garage because I had some stuff saved in his garage. And it was like right after the winter time. On uh, I don't know where the squirrel, maybe he was trying to hide or whatever. And got stuck in the garage and got froze. And so I'm cleaning out stuff out the garage and I move a box and there's like a full, and it wasn't mangled or anything, but it was dead. It's just like a full squirrel, like right there. And that just like, ah, you know, <laughs> that freaked me out real bad. I would have got my nephew, like, nephew, I need you to come get the squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> like I need you to come get this girl out the garage. <laughs> but again, um, learning to deal with those those things, and and like you said, acknowledging those triggers, and making the the uh, adjustments to be able to deal with them. You know, again, with me controlling my breathing, um, being able to notice, you know, train my eye. I don't know if I trained it or it just trained on its own, but train my eye to see it before I'm surprised by it. So if I see it, then I know it's there. Then I can, you know, kind of brace myself and, and move on without getting freaked out about it. Um, but yeah, that's just some of my some of my traumas. I'm still dealing with. <laughs> but um, before we go, before we go, I know you mentioned that uh, you mentioned that you are the author of two books, and I will call you author because <laughs> you wrote them. <laughs> So do me a favor, tell us, tell us about the books and, and where we can get them at. So the first book, well, both books are available on Amazon, or you can, if you want an autograph copy, you can actually um, inbox me. I'm on Facebook and Instagram under Y Renee on all social media platforms. As you can see on the screen, that's how it's spelled, Y Renee. Um, but the first book is called Assassination Avoided, Destiny Defined. It's this book right here. Nice little short read. That's me on the back. <laughs> um, it's about my story of surviving being gunned down um, and surviving years of abuse from my ex-husband. For a while, I wouldn't send my ex-husband because I was afraid of backlash and didn't know if he would try to retaliate, didn't know if he would try to say um, defamation of character, things of that nature, and try to come after me. However, God revealed to me that right after he put me out of our home that he began to tell people that he was afraid I wouldn't come back because he had been abusing me. So you opened the door to allow me to use your name and just not a partner or um, somebody who I was with. 
So that was it. But that's um, and it gives um, I in the back of the book because any any self help book, you know, you have your stories, you have your introduction your stories, and you you help people get. Um, through or see how you got through but at the end you always should give them something to take away from it so in the back i use street signs we have relationships our relationship if you think about any relationship you've ever been in i bet you at some point of your relationship you could put you could apply a street sign whether you need to stop and come out of it whether you went down a one-way street you had no business whether you knew this relationship was a dead end or you had to use caution because of yellow um, so in the back of the book, I pick, I think, six or seven signs um, that you could relate to your relationship and also or to the signs of domestic abuse. And then also in the back, there is um, also a directory of all the social all throughout all 50 states, the um, numbers to coalitions in each state for domestic abuse um, and the national um, domestic abuse hotline. Um, I never really got to write a book about my attempts at suicide because unlike you, um, I I didn't have a why to keep me around. I really wanted to stop myself from living. And the times I attempted, the, the, the irony of it or the things that I try to bring light when I tell my story, because my story can be very harsh in some areas. It can be very doomy. But as you know, Ernest, by being in my presence... Um, I try to make light to it to not to to take away from the, the fact that it happened or the, the severity of it. However, mm-hmm. just to let people know that I am I have moved past it. And if I've gone through something and moved past it, you can as well. So with the suicide part, um, when you mentioned earlier, for me, I attempted four times. And failed miserably. I tell people all the time, I suck at killing myself. Like I don't even know why I try. Like I'm, I'm a failure. If I don't, fa- if I haven't failed at anything else, I failed at killing myself. Nothing worked. And I mean, nothing, nothing. A, a great failure at that. I'm a great failure. And my thing is, you know, most people tell you, like, you know, that well, that's a good thing. I don't know because my thing is, you know, when when people go to the lens of trying to take their own lives. It's a reason behind it. Whether you agree with the reason or not, it's something that's deep inside that person. And therefore, that person, because I'm not the only person who's attempted and survived, that person to attempt, survive, and wake up, and you still alive, nothing pisses you off more. I So by the fourth time, I, the two times I tried in my marriage, because I figured that was my only way of escape. Um, by the fourth time that I tried in my life and I, I just told God, you know, forget it. Apparently I ain't doing this right. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I'm too chicken to hold a gun to my head. Cause I don't want to die painfully. I just want to go sleep and I wake up. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't understand what, what was going on. I, I mean, I took everything you could probably imagine over the counter. The only thing I didn't do was probably like sleep in a car or something, because I felt like if I slept in a car, somebody's always, cause I, he, my ex-husband was always looking for me. So I couldn't like just disappear and go on a car somewhere because I'm always being looked for. So I figured I would be found still in time for you to save my life. So that was a no-no. So, um, <laughs> but the, the humor in that is I knew that I had purpose in life because again, if I felt miserably four times at trying to take my own life and then some mm-hmm. ninja had the audacity to try to take my life and they in turn shot me four times and I'm still here. There's apparently something I'm supposed to be doing in the earth and I need to figure it out and get it together before. Um, yeah, there, that's all I got yeah. for y'all need to figure out. And get together. Yeah. So I believe I'm working. I'm working to walk out my destiny. I'm working to walk in purpose and do the things I'm supposed to be doing. So this book, 
which is my segue to this book. <laughs> it's called When Did I Stop Loving You? It's an ode to self. It's actually interactive as well. You actually can write in this book. But this book was, um, I found myself at one of my lowest points. And I got to the point again, not too long after um, surviving being shot. I wasn't necessarily suicidal, but as my best friend said, because we all have these moments and we think about it. Um, I wasn't necessarily suicidal, but if I didn't wake up the next morning, I don't think I would have cared. I wouldn't have known, but I don't think I would have cared. And I mean, people will miss me, but as time moves on, you know, my presence will be felt where it's supposed to be felt, but I think that everybody will survive. It's not like nobody's going to kill them themselves because I was gone. At least that was my thought process about it. So this book was me learning to love myself all over again, understanding myself all over again, having those difficult conversations with myself about myself all over again. And um, it's helped quite a few people. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm proud of both my books, but I'm kind of more proud of this. And this is the one that truly isn't getting the I, the recognition that it needs because it's really a really good book again it's not about just me and as you know it's alter ego this is my bad self i mean my bad my down self and this is me almost imposter syndrome but like really looking at myself like girl what you what you doing come on get yourself together this is what we're supposed to look like we ain't supposed to look like this this is what we're supposed to like being happy being beautiful you know Glam, face on glam, you know, clothes just out the box and all this other stuff. So this is my baby. I love her. Um, yeah. So those are my two books. Okay, okay. So um before we get out of here, I wanna I wanna touch on one thing that you that you mentioned when you were talking about um when a person attempts to take their own life, it's because they don't feel they have a way out, and it's not for you to agree right so i i often talk about when i talk about my experience i talk about my mindset of uh people who have tried or have committed suicide before i went i was in that place right because before i was in that place i always thought like okay it was a a selfish act because you know, you stop your pain, but the pain doesn't go with you. The pain just transfer to the people that you leave behind, you know, that love you, your loved ones, people that you care about. And so I always kind of thought of it as a selfish act, as a way of, of you not dealing with whatever it was that you were trying to escape from until I found myself in that place where now I'm depressed. You know, now I'm going through a divorce. Now my mom has died. My mother-in-law at the time, who I was very close to, have passed away, you know, and I'm going through all this. My depression doubled because of all of these things. So now I found myself in this dark place, which gave me a new, uh, definitely an eye-opening, you know, view of what it's like to feel hopeless. Yeah, yep. what it's like to, to not feel like you have no way out, you know? And so I... I just want to talk about that because I know there are some people who maybe still have that mindset that I had, but was not fortunate or unfortunate enough to go through a, a season to where they understand it. You know what I mean? And so I just wanted to mention right. that. I feel the same way you do like beforehand. And well, I guess it's a catch 22. Mm -hmm. I felt like, I, it didn't matter. If I felt like I want to take my life, I want to take my life. It's my business. It's my perspective. I did have 
um, a close friend of mine, like a brother, who unexpectedly took his life. And I still didn't start telling my story yet. I still kept it to myself. And a lot of people were like judging, saying he was wrong. He was just another. And I'm thinking to myself, y'all can't say that because y'all don't know where that man was at that time. But again, I'm not saying it out loud because I'm still dealing with my own demons. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if I do what he did, I hope nobody judge me because I don't think it's selfish because you're not in my shoes. Right. The reason why I actually started talking about my story was, unfortunately, it'll be um, five years this year. Um, my someone who I call my bonus daughter. I was dating a man at the time, and he and I were very, very close. We've been friends for years, and um, she took her life in the course of our relationship. Mm-hmm. And when it that really hit home, because she was only fifteen, and we were actually supposed to be together the Saturday before she took her life, and she was going to an event with me that had to deal with teen sexuality, teen abuse, suicide prevention, all that stuff. And for whatever reason, she was not allowed to go. Um, Not by her, her father, of course, but she was not allowed to go. And then like three, four days, three, three days later, she took her life. And I walk around with the the thought or the fact being, man, what if I would have been a little bit more adamant? What if I would have you know, got went and got her myself. What if I would have just like kind of kept following up? So I walk around with that guilt all day long, but that's what caused me to start sharing my story and trying to get to the youth of today. And um, I got permission from her father and her older sister, who um, I'm still very close with. As a matter of fact, her older sister is a part of my non-for-profit, which is called For My Voice Matters, the number four, My Voice Matters. And um, I got their permission to have a branch because, of course, like I said, I wasn't talking about my suicide. I was only talking about my domestic abuse. And so for my voice matter, start off it's just being about helping survivors or helping victims become victors or become survivors uh, from domestic abuse or domestic violence. But when this happened, I asked them to branch off. A part of my organization is also geared towards suicide prevention. So TAB for Trinity and Banks is the reason why I actually began telling my story. Because many people will sit up here and look at me and they didn't know. They they didn't know they didn't have a clue. Most people that were close to me, just like a lot of people didn't know I was actually being abused. So for them to hear the story of one, I, I was abused and I didn't tell nobody. And then two, in the course of all of this, um, I was at, at the mental break point where I wanted to take my own life. You know, it it's kind of devastating to some of my family members. I think they get it now. However, at the same time, too, some people still feel like it's a selfish act and um, it's it's a mental health thing, mm-hmm. really, a really, really mental health thing. And, you know, even though you if someone, God forbid, takes their life, you know, you also have to realize that I'm not going to say there's nothing you could have done to stop them. However, in the headspace that they were in at the time, they weren't really thinking about what they were leaving behind or how it may be devastating to the person. They, they really feel like if I'm gone, things will be better for everybody, including mm-hmm. myself, because I'm not here. Like I say, I tell people all the time, it's far and then I know we have to close out, but when it came to me trying to take my life during my marriage, my ex-husband got to the point where he was not only threatening me because I began to stand up for myself, but he began to threaten my family. And I can't be every place at the same time. 
So if I felt like he may try to do something to my family because, and I know it may have been a scare tactic. It may have been a mental mind game because that's what narcissists do. However, at the time that wasn't my thinking, my thought process, you know, this, this dude might really do something to me all, all the time. He may really try to do something to my family. So I figured since I didn't have any children, if I took myself out the equation, he wouldn't have a reason to bother any of my family members. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the reason why you said you were going to do it. So if I'm gone, then there's no reason for you to bother them. So I might've taken that to my grave if I had succeeded. However, I also know whatever, whatever um, is for us in this afterlife, whether, whether there really is a heaven or a hell to go to, we won't know until we get there. And I'm somebody who firmly believe I'd rather believe in something and it not be true than to not believe it and get there. And it is, and then I'd have failed and can't do nothing. So if there is an afterlife, if there is a heaven or a hell, if I would have gotten there, I would have, I know going peacefully that my family was now safe. That was, that was mm -hmm. for me in, in, in the last couple of times that I, I, I tried to commit suicide. It was more so about me escaping something that I thought I could never escape because he wasn't going to allow me to walk away. I begged for divorce. Um, he was a habitual cheater. Um, and I kept telling him, go be with somebody else. You don't have to be here with me. And that was just not the case. And then you started threatening my family members when I said I was going to leave. So I just felt like I was a common denominator. So take me out the equation and then everything will be fine. Yeah, yeah. And even, even myself, that's kind of how I felt um especially when i was going through my thing because I, I there was nothing i could do about my mom passing away or my mother-in-law at the time passing away but the fact that i was in debt i was going through a divorce you know all of that i'm like i got life insurance if i'm gone you know my daughter gets some money and you know everybody got right and i ain't got to worry about nobody taking care of me or be a burden because i end up moving out of the house that, that I lived in and stayed with my sister for a little while. Then I end up moving in with my mom and, and saying that and my mom's at the basement, you know? Um, so all of that stuff was going on. And so again, I had those same thoughts, like, you know what, if I'm just go out the way, then that just takes care of the problem for everybody, you know? And another thing that you mentioned that I, I wanted to mention was family, not understanding because it wasn't until I started this podcast that I really, like, everybody really started hearing about me saying, you know, talking about my whole situation. And I remember after one of my sisters listening to one episode of the podcast and her calling me, like, how is it that you went through all of that where you wanted to take your life and we not know? Now, I got eight siblings, right? It's nine of us. So she's like, how none of us know? You know, and I'm like, well, it's not like you walk around with a sign saying, I think I want to kill myself today. You know what I mean? It's like you don't talk about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you don't talk about it. Just something Fact. that you, you facts. You don't. Yeah. You execute. I mean, I've never, you know, this and again, mental health is serious. So when I say this next statement, don't nobody call Ernest. Don't nobody put no bad comments down here. Don't nobody tell him I was wrong as heck. I'm not saying that people aren't looking for help or they're not looking for attention. When they say I'm going to kill myself or I may kill myself or I'm thinking about killing myself, that may be a cry for help. But I don't know anybody personally that has taken their life in any shape, form or fashion and had a conversation about it first. They just didn't. They got tired. They didn't want the help. They didn't think it could get any help. 
Now, right. mind you, again, those people who talk about it, who yell out about it, oh, I'm going to kill myself. You, If you're crying for help, that's wonderful. I'm, I appreciate you crying for help. Get the help you need or whatever have you. But nine times out of 10, I will say anybody who has taken their lives never had a conversation about it, never went yeah. to anybody. There may have been some signs like they became withdrawn. They were that you could tell they were depressed and they're not talking anymore. They stopped doing the things they used to do so they can get themselves away from the people. So uh, one, they won't be they won't be found out or two, because now they just really they may feel some kind of way. Like if I keep being around my family member, I'm not going to go through with it. If I keep doing this, that and other, I'm not going to go through with it. But I need to go through with it. It's really what a lot of times people are thinking. And so but anybody who I, I've, I've heard stories of, anybody who, and most of them, like, if you pay attention to anybody, like anybody on the news you've heard, I'll use Kay Spade as a perfect example. Kay Spade was like at the top of her game as far as purses and fashion and things like that. Her and her husband divorced. I think she sold Kay Spade for, I don't know, millions of dollars. But she had to give a portion of it to her, her husband. She didn't fight him. She didn't care, whatever have you. Everybody thought she was fine. Then she was gone. And everybody was like, oh, my God, I can't believe K-Space. She had everything going for her. She had all this. And I tell you right now, money is not everything. Money does mm -hmm. not make people happy. Oh, yeah. my gosh, she did this, that, and other. And now she's gone. So, like, I don't know anybody. Like, even with Trinity, we, we, had, just, we had just spent time with her two weeks before. She was excited about going to um, like one of those Sadie Hawker dances where she mm -hmm. where you have to invite the guy or invite yeah. Going with. She was excited about going to that. She was excited about the school year. She was excited that all of us were supposed to be taking a trip together in the next upcoming year or so. So by looking at that, I had no clue. So when it happened, it was even more devastating because again, you were just making plans, which is something else that they will do to throw you off. You were making plans mm -hmm. to be with family. You were making plans to do this, that, and the other. You were making plans. Now, within my hearts of hearts, I honestly believe that she didn't do it on purpose. I believe she it was accidental. I think she did something. And by the time it, it happened, she couldn't correct it. It was too late. Mm -hmm. So I really, when people say, well, you know, I, I think that it was an accidental um, cry for attention. That's yeah. what I was saying. And, um, and it just it ended tragically. But I don't know. I don't know any story. If you call anybody, even who, what, what other famous person? I'm thinking of an athlete. Um, um, the one, the one guy that was from the Ellen Show. Um, yeah, Stitch, his, Twitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. His he, name was just on my head. Twitch, Twitch. Nobody knew. Twitch was just he just celebrated his ninth wedding anniversary. Like not even two, two to three days before, he was just dancing on TikTok with his wife. Dude got up, got a gun, went to a hotel room, didn't call, tell nobody nothing. And the only reason why his wife got suspect is because he left his car at home so nobody would be able to find out where he was until he was finished doing what he was doing. They don't have people who really are serious about leaving this world. And I pray daily for people like that, with your mental, whatever, how you reach out for help. It's not, it's not worth it. It's not worth There's, There is a purpose for you in life don't think that because i mean and he was full of purpose at least i felt even though the ellen show mm -hmm. was quitting he still had talent him and his wife could still do wonderful things and they left he left little kids little yeah. babies so my thing is just reach down talk to somebody but yeah nobody really has those conversations i'm not gonna sit up here and tell you that's why 
And a lot of times too, and again, I know we got to close this out, but when they say, you know, when you at your job, if you tell people you have thoughts of suicide, that's why they call the police right away. You may not even really be thinking, thinking you're going to do it. But if you even tell somebody you thinking about it or you got some type of thought that they calling the people on you right away, right away. Mm. And so, mm. I, but that's why most people don't, they, they don't talk, they just execute. So you have to really yeah. look for, for actual signs of like withdrawal. If you see somebody like giving away all their worldly goods and not really caring, if you find somebody giving you something that's very, very sentimental to them that they would never give up before, red flag, yeah. red flag, red flag. Yeah, I want to thank you uh, really for, for having this conversation. I've had other people on that, you know, I've had this conversation with, but definitely I think this one we've kind of went a little more deeper than, than I've had in some of the other conversations so i definitely want to appreciate uh let you know i appreciate you for even having that conversation even that wasn't <laughs> where i thought we were going to go but <laughs> i'm definitely uh grateful because that's one of the things that i i love about having this platform again because i want to make it normal for us to have these conversations and that's what i even what i told my sister when she asked me that you know i said well i you know i didn't I wasn't promoting it like that, but now that I've, I'm on the other side of it, I'm very vocal about it because I want people to know that they can talk about it, that they can express, you know, whatever it is that they're dealing with. So they don't go down that street, you know, because like you said, everybody don't make it back, you know, back from that, those attempts. So, um, why would I thank you so very much? I want you to have the thank last word. <laughs> Oh, you know what? Wait, before we go, before we go, you are a speaker and you do have your own platform. And I would be remiss if I didn't allow <laughs> you to talk about <laughs> the level up conference. Let's 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 talk well, about that a little well, bit. Okay. Well, thank you very much for allowing me to talk about level up. Level up is a platform for emerging, inspiring, and also seasoned speakers. What does that mean? That means if you're somebody who is afraid to create a platform, somebody who um, is not confident enough to put yourself out there in front of people, meaning that you don't want to get into the school systems or the corporate America or these non-for-profits because you feel like you haven't mastered your craft yet. If you don't have a speaker's reel, if you don't have photos, if you don't have stage presence, if you You've been out of the game for a minute. You need to warm yourself back up, set yourself on fire. This is the platform for you. So what I am is I am a speaker's coach. And me with a couple of my team team members, we help emerging, inspiring, and speakers have a platform throughout this country. This year, we've been challenged. And it's okay because everything that um, every time, even in life, you might have a great year, but then the next year you may have growing pains. That's what growing up is all about. But Level Up has been in effect. This is our third year. This year, originally we were doing six cities. Um, I cut out Washington, D.C. because there was um, no real interest of anybody wanting to be anywhere Memorial Day weekend, which is the weekend we picked, not really knowing that that was that weekend. We just went by every six weeks after we started in Philly. Um, also, as I, I'm not political by any means, but I will say this over and over over again. I have a real problem with what happened in Tennessee with those two African-American young men and that um, Caucasian woman when they protest about gun control and they were on the mm -hmm. Senate floor. 
and the boys got expelled from the Senate, whereas she only got suspended, even though they got their job back and they're working on it. The powers that be are still kind of messing with them behind the scenes. And I don't feel good about taking my tour, my business and my good hard earned money to the state of Tennessee for anything right now. Not saying we won't visit Tennessee in the future. Just right now, it was really heavy on me. So I cut Nashville out. However, we still have three wonderful cities left. We'll be in Dallas in August, August 12th to be exact. We'll be in Atlanta in September. I believe it's the third week of September. And we'll be in Chicago here in the wonderful city of Chicago, the weekend of November 2nd, I believe. If you are interested in becoming a speaker, please, by all means, get my information from Ernest. Or again, follow me on all social media platforms under Y Renee Cooper. Or if you hashtag Level Up Tour 2023. I'm quite sure you will find something that you can comment or post on. I will see that information and get back to you right away. Um, this is a pay-to-play opportunity. But again, when you pay-to-play, you do get um, a nice package <laughs> for what you're spending. Again, opportunity to be on stage, photos, videos, and actual social media presence. Um, I appreciate you. Thank you again. Ernest is a witness because he was actually in the room. Um, last year when we were in Chicago and he gave us a grave review and because I am honored to be um, a part of a speaking platform called Next Level Speakers Academy and I'm the Chicago chapter president. Ernest is a vi vibrant, viable member of our yeah. of our community and Ernest is there every month with bells on um, giving value and receiving um, good coaching from all of us coaches that are on stage. So, Ernest, again, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate being on your platform. This has been simply amazing. All right, all right. I was going to say let you have the last word, but we'll just end it right there. Yeah, oh, one word. more thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, so like, that's enough. You're going to keep going on because you keep saying one more thing. You're going to one more thing us to no. death. No, this is not, this not for you. This, this is for the listeners. I got to tell them how they can get the $100. Okay, good. So, <laughs> so I told you guys that, uh, see, that's how you know when speakers get together, because we can't stop talking. So, <laughs> so I told you guys that I would let you know how you can win $100 from the podcast. You win $100 from the podcast by entering our super subscriber contest. That means you must first subscribe to our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, and our podcast on Spotify. After you've done those three things, then text the word WIN. W-I-N to the number 866-326-0730 to qualify to win $100. The contest is ongoing and is random. So at any time I can pull uh, a name and it could be you and you can win $100. And once, you, uh, once you're in, you can always win. You don't have to re-up or anything like that. Once you're in, you're always in. So you always have the chance. As long as this podcast is on the air, you have a chance to win $100. So, Y Renee, thank you once again very much uh, for being on. Uh, thank you. I definitely appreciate you. Uh, to my listeners, thank you guys again for tuning in to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast, where our mission is to help people to deal, to heal, and to fulfill, to deal with your problems, to heal from the pain, and to fulfill your purpose. So, until next time, be blessed. Hey guys, I know you're enjoying the podcast. However, don't forget to join our text line at 866-326-0730. That's 866-326-0730. Thanks for listening to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. Remember to listen, like, subscribe, and share. 
This episode has been brought to you by Deal to Heal Teas. Put some inspiration in your situation. Wear an inspirational tea and be inspired all day. Let's go to dealtoheelteas.myshopify.com. Remember, our mission is to help you to deal, heal, and fulfill. Deal with your problem, heal from the pain, and fulfill your purpose. Thanks for listening.